All right, folks, we're back here, City Hall, with uh, Mayor Ethan Berkowitz. How you doing, Mayor? I'm doing great. Thank you for finally coming to talk to me. Really? Yeah, t- it took you long enough. I know. Well, here we are. I love the office. Got a great view. It does, and uh, hopefully the view gets better over time. Uh, well, the smoke's gone, at least for now. Smoke is gone. Looking for some construction to happen in downtown, and also make sure that this is just a better, attractive, more attractive place to be. So you've been mayor for, what, fourth fourth year? Fourth year. So how's, uh, what would you say, how has it been? Because you were a legislator for, what, 10 years, right? 10 years in the legislature, then took uh, about uh, nine years off, did some other things. and Also it, a radio guy at one point. I, I did a little bit of radio, a little bit of radio. So that, that was a learning experience. No stranger to the mic. Uh, no stranger to the mic at all. Some people, you do a podcast, and they uh really good one-on-one. They speak well, and it's great, and the... You know, the radio, or the sound goes on and they just kind of freeze up sometimes. You, you've ever seen that before? I, I've seen it and I have heard it. But no, being mayor has been, it's been a terrific experience and it's been an incredible honor to be able to be mayor of this town. This is a, a, you know, I tell people we're the biggest city in the biggest state. And that means that we have a lot going on here. When I talk to uh, community leaders from across the country, they're sort of envious of our position because in a lot of ways... Anchorage is just perfectly sized. We're small enough where things are still intimate, but we're yet large enough where we can do things at scale. And on account of that, some of the initiatives that we have launched here have been looked at and copied in communities around the country. So right now, um, the big talk is a lot of these budget cuts and vetoes from the governor um, and how they're going to affect Anchorage. And I guess some of them are the some of the cuts to the homeless services, the uh, bond debt reimbursement. Um, to the university, university there's, a, there, yeah. there's a number of cuts and uh you, you know you talked about people talking with us nobody from the administration from the governor's team talked to anybody in the municipality about what the consequences would be or if there's ways that we could work together to reduce the impact uh, of cuts on people and i uh, having spent 10 years in juno recognize that you need to have downward pressure on a budget. And as the mayor of Anchorage, we have put together balanced budgets for the past four years. We have maintained a AAA bond rating for this city. And the process that was used to implement the governor's vetoes is shocking to me. And the consequence of those vetoes is going to have dire effect on our economy and on our ability to exercise our own self-determination in our future. And it's going to ultimately, if these if these cuts are held up, it's going to result in... Um, I think deaths on our streets. So when you were minority leader, who was was it Murkowski or? Well, no? there was. I had a little bit with uh, Governor Knowles uh, and Governor Murkowski. So back then, when um, there was I mean, there was budget deficit problems back then, early two thousands was. Was the OMB people, were they talking to you guys? Yeah, we, it- we talked to OMB. And, you know, one of the things that was different then is uh, Democrats and Republicans actually talked together. And in the, the House, we put together a fiscal plan. And it was an awkward fiscal plan, but at least it was a, a way forward. And that's why when I see the debate that's occurring in Juneau today about the necessity of either doing cuts or dividends, it's a very narrow debate. And that's a false choice. There are plenty of other opportunities for resolving the, the, this uh this dilemma that we're in. And there are there are ranges of solutions. And just the, the breadth of conversation is far too narrow. The quality of the imagination and creativity um, and understanding of how the budget is put together is altogether lacking. So recently I had a conversation and some, you know, somebody 
was talking to me about these budget cuts and how they affect municipalities in Anchorage specifically. And um, kind of the comment was, you know, for a long time we had a lot of money and it was easy for the state to kind of help out these municipalities. And now that the money's not as, you know, plentiful, that they need to step back. But it seems like they went for a real aggressive one-time approach. And at first they wanted to reduce all the bond debt reimbursement, I guess. So is it reasonable maybe over time to say, the state can't help out as much as they used to help out? I think structurally you need to understand how the Constitution is put together and that in Alaska it's designed to have a strong state support local governments. And the the thinking that the founders had was that over time local governments would evolve the capacity where they would be able to assume more responsibility. But to, be, but to have that responsibility thrust on local government as abruptly as it has without planning for a transition, without giving capacity uh, to local government, is go, it's creating chaos. Chaos and nothing good occurs in chaos. So, what are some of the um, effects as far as property taxes goes with uh, some of the bond debt reimbursement? So, so, and- so, retreating from bond debt reimbursement. Let me just explain what the bond debt reimbursement is. For the past twenty plus years, when the municipality, particularly it's, this is school de- school district, mm-hmm. which is somewhat distinct from the municipality, but when the school district issues bonds, the state agrees to pay a portion of those bonds. And uh, just, the, just the same way the state, when they, it does a deal with the oil industry, says we're going to be good partners in, say, the oil tax credits. Um, but everything is done with the, the asterisk that it's this, this is only true so long as the legislature appropriates funds. Um, but it is also a handshake on the state's part. It's a commitment to the to the constituents of of my city and of uh, other communities across Alaska that when they did uh, committed to doing bond debt reimbursement, they were going to continue to do it. Some of the bond debt that is being slashed away here, their commitment, dates back 20-plus years. And this was not a topic of conversation at that time. Um, Over the last couple of years when the municipality has issued bonds, it has done so without any bond debt reimbursement. We have had no commitment from the state that they were going to do anything. Okay, so this is all old bonds. These are old bonds. Um, Look, you and I make a deal. We shake hands. I trust you that your word is good. When the state shook hands with the, the people of, of Anchorage, you should trust that their word is good. And the, this idea that's embedded in uh, we're going to cut this, the, the state's bond debt reimbursement is it's dishonest. I mean, it, 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 it violates the basic rule that your word is your bond. Well, I was in a Senate Finance Committee meeting months ago, maybe in March, and Don Arduin was presenting, um, talking about these, the budget and all these things. And Peter Machicki, Senator Machicki had asked her, basically said, you know, in Soldatna, when he was mayor, they worked really hard to balance their budget, and they made some hard decisions, and they've done really well over, over years to get their budget in order. And um, the proposal was to re- remove some of the local property taxes and things from some of the municipalities. And he asked her, well, you know, what what do you think about that? You know, it's going to affect our communities. And I couldn't believe her response. She said, basically, well, it's not our problem. It's a city issue. We're on the state level. But it is. It's everybody's problem. Everybody who lives in Anchorage also lives in Alaska. And this idea that the state is going to do things in isolation, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of the impact on, on local people, is astounding to me. It is incredibly divisive. That's not who we are. I mean, I, I, you know, this has been an occasion for people to think back on how we got to be the state that we, we are. You know, there are some tremendous leaders who forged consensus, even though they had vigorous and principled disagreements with each other. And sort of the hallmark of Alaska through our the best parts of our history was even when we disagreed with each other, we recognized that people might have achieved different positions out of principle. 
That was the one, number one. And number two, there was a respect. There was a respect for dissenting viewpoints or people we disagreed with. Not just because that's necessary to have good quality debate in a democracy, but because here in Alaska, it means something to live in this state. And if you disregard or put down people who you disagree with, you're undercutting their ability to participate in the process the same way. You know, I, I like telling folks that when I drive my car into a ditch, which has happened periodically, I don't ask if the guy coming along is a Democrat or Republican. I just ask, do you have a tow rope? I mean, that's mm -hmm. that's who we are. So where do you attribute this kind of breakdown in civility? I mean, you had this for a while. They were meeting in different locations. The House so, Republicans look, have been very. Some of this is, is percolating down from the national level. Some of it is done deliberately. But you look at what the consequences are when you disable uh, disable government. Um, I mean, and you undercut our educational system. I mean, we educate Alaskans in order to make sure Alaskans have a pathway to stay in the state and ultimately to to take over the the leadership, uh, the economic and political and social leadership of our community. And if we don't grow those leaders, if we don't grow our doctors, our lawyers, our engineers um, here in the state, then they're going to come from outside or they won't come at all, which will leave us at the mercy of people who do not have Alaska's best interests at heart. So um, moving on to the, this homelessness issue, uh, we recently did a video on that. So I spent a while kind of researching this and talking to folks and trying to better understand it myself. And, and I kind of realized it's a lot more complicated than I even thought. Mm -hmm. But right now there's an issue, um, the Park Strip, there's a bunch of, I think it originally was a protest and now it's grown to be more um, people that are experiencing homelessness are, are out there. And, and, they, and they're, as we speak, they're packed up and they've moved. Oh, they're okay. Is that... Because they had an abatement notice, right? For they some... had an abatement notice. We handle this the way we handle all uh, encampments in, in parks, which is we put up a 72-hour notice and say you have 72 hours to leave or else we're going to come take your tents away and we'll store them because that's what the Constitution requires us to do, but we're going to take them down in, in 72 hours. And uh, the folks who had been on the park strip have left. But their, their initial reason for being there was they're, they're protesting some of these budget um, cuts that they're going to affect things like uh, um, Covenant House and Beans Cafe. They're going to they're, they're have a wide impact across the, the homeless community, not just the people who are currently homeless, but it's going to aggravate the problem significantly. The, the initial expectations that we have will, within the first few months, add to the number of homelessness in this community by about 800 people. Currently, we have about 11 or 1,200 people who are homeless. So that's that's significant. There are two really critical things to understand about this new population that will become homeless. First of all, this is a very vulnerable group of, of people, seniors who are uh, depending on their senior benefits in order to pay the rent, uh, people who have medical assistance who will not have that medical assistance and who will be on the street. The experts say there will be deaths on account of, uh, of these budget cuts because people on the street will have not have the support that they've had. They will not have the shelter that they, they need, and people will die. The other thing that's really important to understand is at this point we have um, emergency shelter for almost everybody who is homeless. So we have, you know, plus maybe maybe short of about 100. We do not have emergency shelter for an additional 800 people. And for us to prepare emergency shelter for that additional 800 people um, is is absolutely critical, uh, especially before the wintertime hits. Is the city looking into doing something? to be we, we are looking into doing all kinds of things. I, I, I am... Um, 
urging the legislature to find the way to replace the funds that were taken out. I will also say that it's not as simple as just putting the funds back in at this point. Because they missed the July 1 beginning, the way the funds flow to the agencies that distribute them and use them is jammed up. And so the money is not going to get where it needs to go as quickly as it needs to happen. And so it puts the, the municipality and the service providers in a very precarious position. We've done a, a, a pretty good job over the last couple of years building a coalition between the private sector, the nonprofits, um, and, and, uh, and the municipality so we can address homelessness. We reduced the number of people between 2017 and 2018 by 18% who are homeless. We held steady over the last year in spite of the fact that across the country, the rates of homelessness were increasing by almost 10%. So we have the right mechanisms in place. We were hoping to have additional resources so we could continue put, uh, to, to find shelter and housing for people who, who, who needed it. Um, I think it's a test of our, our moral character. And I also think it's, there's a fiscal imperative to do it. If we don't resolve homelessness in an efficient way, it becomes incredibly expensive. And so that's why the, this $10 million of worth of cuts to homeless services are going to generate significantly more cost to the community, not just to the first responders who are going to deal with emergencies on the street, not just to the hospitals who will be overwhelmed, but to the businesses that have that will have security challenges um, and, and as well to the, the character of a city that's going to see basically a doubling of the number of homeless people most of whom are going to be sleeping in, in alleyways, doorways, in invisible places. So this issue, I mean, it predates you. It goes back way before you were mayor. Um, is there a way to, you know, solve? I, I, my opinion is it'd be very difficult, but I mean, can you? Yeah, there's there's ways to, to fix this, and we were on the pathway to fixing it. Part of it requires an understanding that, you know, I know a lot of folks think it would be great if, if uh, folks who are on the street could just pick themselves up by their bootstraps. A lot of them don't have bootstraps. Most of the, the homeless problem is also overlaid with the fact that you've got behavioral health issues. You've got drug and alcohol issues. You have mm-hmm. mental health issues, um, traumatic brain injury, people who are victims of domestic violence. That's that's the overwhelming majority. That's almost all people on the street would fit into one of those categories. We don't have in this state the social network, the, the support networks that are necessary. The municipality was attempting to work and, and, and is going to continue to attempt to work with the private nonprofit sectors to develop those facilities. But the failure of the state to make sure that API, the Alaska Psychiatric Institute, is in, in good position, the fact that there are fewer um, treatment beds in Anchorage today than there were 30 years ago, that makes our challenge harder. And because we're doing this against a backdrop when you have the opioid epidemic, which is driving homelessness, the fact that the the state cut the number of prosecutors and the number of troopers and it has less law enforcement than it had in the past, all of these aggravate the the problems that we're trying to confront. So speaking of uh, the the crime issues, so the the new crime bill was signed there last week. Are you guys looking at that and how it's going to affect municipality and there, there are components of the new crime bill that are helpful, but we've increased the number of police officers in the municipality by about 100 officers since I, I came uh, on duty. And the even still, going from about 350 to about 450, that's not enough. A comparably sized city in the lower 48 would have 650 or 700 officers. Um, we're doing, we're doing um, what we can with what we got. And our department um, and all our emergency responders are top flight. I, I it is just amazing how the quality of um, people in in our departments, um, just fantastic people doing great work against overwhelming odds. 
the crime bill, it's nice, but but this is one thing, you know, it's a classic Juno deal where you talk about something, but you don't fund it. And this is one of the realities and one of the differences between being at the municipal level where you actually have to make things happen, where you have to put cops on the street, firefighters uh, on the street, where you have to fix the potholes, as opposed to sitting in Juneau, where you can pass a bill that directs somebody to do something, and if it works, great, and if it doesn't, you know, it wasn't your fault. And, and that's what, what I see a lot of down there. I mean, this is also one of the challenges that's embedded in um, in the way these vetoes came down. It's all about someone else doing things. You know, there's there's been almost no empathy and no understanding from the administration about the consequences of the cuts, not just in terms of the immediate effect, but what it means to the people who are directly impacted and the and the and as well as the the cities and the nonprofits and the service providers that, that have to deal with what they have caused. So let's talk about the sweep issue for a second, because you were in there for a long time and you're a minority leader. Um, so they failed to reverse the sweep of, of all these, I think it's like something like 40 funds, right? which has never happened before. So just to be clear, so if people understand what the sweep is, is all funds that are not used. I mean, think of them as separate bank accounts. It's like the dedicated and designated, right? Right. That's so the, all, think of them as all these little bank accounts. You know, and what's not when those bank accounts are are not spent down, the sweep pulls the money out of those accounts and puts it in the general fund. Those accounts will continue to exist, but they're, they've been they've been emptied. So the consequence of that is if if someone says I'm going to use Jeff's bank account to pay for something, but Jeff's bank account has no money in it, then you can't actually pay for things because your account has no money in it. And that's the consequence of the sweep. It's one of the reasons why you don't mess around with it. There's a lot of interconnectivity between different fund sources that, that I don't think the, the, was fully appreciated when they voted on, on uh, the sweep. And we're going to be dealing with the consequences of uh, the accounting consequences of a failure um, in Juno for a while to come. I mean, at some point, I think they're probably going to reverse it because they've been getting a lot of pressure. Um, the Republicans in the House have been getting a lot of pressure from, you know, Associated General Contractors, other groups, um, not just for the sweep, but for the, for the capital budget funding, which they could lose, a, I think, a billion dollars if they don't fund that pretty soon. So I have this expectation. It's a little bit idealistic, maybe perhaps naive, that when people go to Juno, they recognize that they serve all of the people. And that's not what happened. And they, I, I was a minority. I was the longest serving minority leader in state history. And, you know, I, I was vigorous in my dissent. Um, How long were you a minority leader? Eight years. Oh, wow. Um, and, but I, I, I thought my job was to get people to think before they acted, to make sure that there was corrective action. But ultimately, my job was not to impede and be mindless in opposition. You had to recognize that you were going to lose votes, but you had to make things as good as you possibly could. And... I don't sense that that's the case now. There's a lot of personal enmity down there that colors people's political decisions, and that's not right. You know, this is also something that tragically is occurring across the country today where leaders feel, elected leaders too often feel that they only represent the people who elected them. But once you're elected, you serve all the people. And when you fail to serve all the people, you you accelerate the divisiveness that occurs in this in in this city or in this country today. That makes us weaker. It doesn't make us greater. So, what do you think? You know, this year I think it was 
the most number of freshman legislators in many, many, many years, and almost 10 in the House, uh, half of the, you know, or five of, I guess, five or six of the minority. Um, and, you know, it took 30 days to, to organize. And for the new people, that kind of that must be the normal for them. Um, how important is it, or I guess how detrimental is it when you have so many new people who get elected to the legislature who have no prior experience in, in government? You know, I just remembered some of the legislative leaders who were in office when I came in, people like Ramona Barnes, who was a three-time Republican Speaker of the House. I've heard, or, I've heard stories about her. Uh, or Ben Grusendorf, who's a three-time Democratic Speaker of the, the House. Um, and they mentored all of us, Democrats and Republicans alike. And uh, what they said is a couple of basic rules is you have your word and you have your vote and you don't compromise either one of those. Um, they also pointed out that it is an incredible honor to serve in the legislature, and people need to treat it that way. It is not a temporary custodialship. You are not just serving at this one time. You you serve knowing that the consequences of your decision will be visited on, upon people later, and that you are served up uh, a menu of options that are based on um, hard work and sacrifice that occurred before. I mean, the university did not appear from nowhere. The Arts Council did not appear from nowhere. People built that. People invested in it. Not, and I'm not meaning the legislators uh, alone, but this required action. And it's just a question of respect for people who came before you, that you make take the time to understand the consequence of your decisions before you make those decisions. Yeah, my impression, I spent the last session in Juneau, and I've never been there before for a session. I've gone for you know, a couple of days here and there, but um, I, I'd run for legislature a couple of times, and um, first time, really, I had no clue. Most, I think most people who run for the first time, they don't really know, understand it. But my takeaway from being down there was the, the two things that are the most important to be successful um, isn't your po- political persuasions, it's your ability to get along with people and your word. And, you know, I kind of figured out if people don't like you or don't trust you, then you really can't do it, even if you're really smart. And that that seems to be kind of a problem nowadays. There's not not a lot of people getting along as like they used to, and people don't talk to each other. You know, I uh, uh, I have maintained friendships with people from both sides of the aisle that I served with, and you know, we've all talked afterwards, and we, we're a little incredulous. I mean, this there is so much opportunity to put a deal together um, with the with what they have in Juno today that it's astounding that they can't. Yes. And, um, it, it, you know, there are people of goodwill down there. They're just not a critical mass of them. I, mean, I always say, give me a critical mass of critical thinkers, give us a, and put us in a confined space, and we will solve the problem. Mm-hmm. We, I'm not sure there's a critical mass of critical thinkers, <laughs> and they're not willing to even be in a confined space. Yeah, some of them are still mad about having to go back to Juno because they amended the call. So, and, and you know what? This is not about how you personally feel. And I am sorry if maybe somebody was mean to you at a prior time. That is not what you should base your decisions on. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the city. You mentioned earlier Anchorage. Uh, I guess Nordstrom's, unfortunately, they're, they're, they're leaving. But there is, there's a push. Um, Andrew Halker talks a lot about the uh, revitalization of downtown. Where's, where's that, and what's kind of the you know, three-, five-year outlook for downtown? Yeah, well, Nordstrom's and, and other um, big stores are suffering from the, the consequence of what's happening in national, national trends where you're seeing the, the rise of uh, Internet sales, and that mm-hmm. poses challenges for brick and mortar. But we're seeing development in downtown. We're going to continue to see development in downtown. Elizabeth Place is going up a couple of blocks away from here. Um, what's that? Uh, it is a, a four- or six-story 
building that's a mixed use. It's across the street from Snow White Cleaners, um, and it, it's under construction. There, there are other a couple other housing uh, constructions that are occurring. We put together some uh, initiatives that will allow people to have some tax incentives and tax be- benefits if they invest in the downtown part of Anchorage, because downtown is a community that belongs to everybody. Um, and revitalizing downtown is, is absolutely critical. We help bring the police department down here, which should, which should result in an increased police presence. A great deal on that building. <laughs> yeah, it, was a, it was a pretty good deal on this uh, on the building, but it was you know it's a classic example where Juno messed up badly. Um, yep. And uh, for not, I can't, ju- I can't believe they didn't stay there. I mean, after they however it looked or whatever, but they spent the money and now they're in this other one where they can't even have floor sessions. And, and they pay, they paid more for removing themselves than we did for that whole building. Yeah, I mean, $12.5 million to buy the building and now and, $12.5 million to to um, refurbish it, yeah, well, renovate it. We have APD in there for much, much less than that. Very good deal. I think $15 million or something, right? Or 14. 15 all up, probably. Yeah, that's a great, I mean, I think it costs $30 million to build, to build to build it. 30 to build, probably 45 to replace today. <laughs> um. So, yeah, again, going to downtown, what's what's the kind of three-year plan or outlook for down, down here? Well, I mean, so much is, is impacted by what occurs with these vetoes. I mean, we're, at UAA alone, they're talking about 700 jobs lost, and it's going to change the character of what Anchorage is and mm-hmm. what, 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 what the state is and what the state can become. And, I, I, look, we need to we are treated like a colony too often. We are just a place where resources are harvested and profits are extracted. The way we have pushed back against that is by educating our own public and taking control over those resources and making sure that we get a fair deal when we can get a fair deal. If we don't educate ourselves, then we're at the mercy of people who have different interests than than we do. And I don't blame them for having different interests. That's the beast that they are. But shame on us if we're not prepared to negotiate with them vigorously. Uh, Something else I wanted to talk to you about was housing. Um, I've been here 15 years, and it's always never been a secret that housing's pretty expensive in Anchorage. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you have to earn, I think it's like 20 bucks an hour to be able to afford a one- or two-bedroom place. Why is housing so expensive here and... Is there a way to? Yeah, there's there's things we can do, and look, housing is it's not just an Anchorage problem; it's a national problem. And some of the the challenges we face in Anchorage are also due to failures at the federal level in terms of how housing is 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 uh, housing is is supported and encouraged. Um, but the reason why housing is expensive here is because construction is really expensive. We don't basically have our materials. Uh, labor is expensive here, and our construction seasons are relatively short, although mm. climate change is stretching them out just a little yes. bit here. Pretty hot here lately. Yeah, Jeez. it's too, too hot here. Uh, those, but, those 90 degree. oh, I was on Kasugi Ridge by Talkeetan hiking that really hot period. It, it, was, it was way it was too hot. really hot. I mean, yeah. I felt like I was back in New Mexico. It is way too hot. So that's why housing is expensive. But, and the other thing is what we're trying to do is encourage more mixed use and, and go more vertical um, because it's the cost per door that, that people look at. And the cost per door goes down if you're in an apartment building. Um, we need more of that. Not everybody wants a one-acre ranch house. And we need to make sure that that kind of housing is available. We also need to make sure that Housing is available for people who, you know, might have had a family and are now just empty nesters and don't need a large house, but there is no place for them to go. And so you've got empty nesters living in larger houses that would be normally suitable for families, but they've got no place to go. And so it creates certain roadblocks. And there's a lot of reasons why 
Um, things are the way they are, but we're working on fixing them. We've allowed for uh, accessory dwelling units. For example, uh, a lot of the initiatives that are are taking place in, in other cities across the country where they're trying to address their housing shortages, we've already implemented those changes. Those are the smaller units, right? Yeah. They're part of a, um existing area or house, um, property? It's, it's, it's what uh, people would call mother-in-law apartments. Okay. Um, but I have to see, say the term accessory dwelling units because that's a, technically correct. A, AD, ADU, they, ADUs. they call them. So what's it? I mean, you've been mayor for four years. What's it, what's it like being mayor compared to you know being elect, I mean, legislature, you know, it, executive it, compared to... Well, this is a great job, and and it, you know I get to tinker under the hood of the city, and um, I get to hang out with people who do amazing work all the time. You know, whether it's the guys that are striping the roads, or uh, people putting lights in, or cops, or firefighters. Um, it's the people that are working behind the counters. The the people that work for the municipality are just incredibly hardworking, and and the people of this community should feel real fortunate that they have the workforce that they do. So you're mayor for what till 2021? Uh, 20, yeah, 2021. And, and, and we've done a lot of really big things. We've built, rebuilt the police department. Uh, the sale of MLMP is, is going through. Wait, how's that How's that going? Is that, uh, RCA has to approve that, right? Uh, it's, it's in the RCA process currently. So that they were saying maybe end of the year? We, we hope, you know, um, we hope that the RCA gets through it as quickly as they possibly can. So once that's all done, so MLMP will go away. And then, uh, well, MLMP become part of uh, Chugach and the municipality will be on firmer financial footing. And, you know, for those who care about these things, the municipality will have downsized its workforce significantly. Yeah, no, I, I, it seemed when it happened, it makes perfect sense, you know. You got two it, utilities in the same city. and two, Yes. Um, what was I getting? Oh, the last thing I want to ask you is the uh, alcohol tax recently that didn't, didn't um, that failed to pass. Is that something you're going to revisit next year or? Well, some of this is is uh, bound up in what the legislature and the governor decide to do with restoring cuts. I mean, we have additional costs that are going to be caused by their cuts, and that's one of the fallacies of them cutting the budget in Juneau and just passing the costs on to us here in Anchorage. So we're going to have to figure out how we're going to deal with that, and we're going to try and deal with it in a way that is as least burdensome as possible. We're also going to do it, try and do it in a way that ensures that people who aren't currently paying for services do pay for services um you know whether that's the state itself or the federal government we're going to make sure that they have to chip in a little bit more than they have um, we're also going to make look to see that cost causers become cost payers in ways that we haven't but we're, we're trying to do things in a way that is as fair and as as uh, efficient as possible uh last thing what's uh what's been your most exciting day or thing about being mayor in four years you have a, one story it, that sticks out or? People, people ask me that question all the time you, you know um there's all kinds of great things I, i've have been able to do get to throw out the first pitch periodically that's sometimes the the hardest thing to do i you know i used to be a pretty decent ball player as a kid i never bounced a, a pitch as a kid um i've bounced pitches doing out those, those <laughs> first throws who was that that was like i was it was it Bush or somebody years ago? They they, they missed. It's nerve wracking. It? It's, it, <laughs> it's it's way nerve wracking. You got one pitch and you got to get it right. So I've been able to do that, but but riding around with uh, people at street maintenance um, when we when when a, a snowfall happens, uh, watching the choreography of how they clear the streets, it, it, it's amazing. Um, just being with people who are are serving this community is, is fantastic. Uh, having people come up to me and 
um, and appreciate sort of the tone that the city has taken. That that means a lot because one of the things we've tried to do is make sure that everybody in Anchorage recognizes that this is their city. And it is really important for us to be uh, to to use all the resources and make everyone feel as welcome as we possibly can. There are not a lot of us here in Alaska, and we cannot afford to be divided. And we can achieve so much more when we do things together. And we've tried to implement the kind of attitude that uh, that Anchorage is going to be different. I want people to look at Anchorage and say we want to do things the mm-hmm. Anchorage way. That Anchorage is doing things right. How was your meeting with the uh, Russian ambassador? That was probably that was a pretty big deal, huh? That's a, that's a big meeting. That was, uh, you know, as a kid, I never thought I'd grow up and have a, a meeting with the, the Russian ambassador. <laughs> and I, I heard he said some complimentary things about me afterwards. But he did. I was I went and saw him speak, and he was uh, very very nice about your meeting. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is also one of the things that that people need to recognize about Anchorage is we are the crossroads of the world, and you know, not only do we have the fourth or fifth largest cargo airport in the world, we are we are spaced out between North America and Europe and Asia that, that gives us great leverage. And that's why the character of this city, where we have so many people from all around the world, makes a big difference. It gives us a huge competitive advantage. And we need to make sure that we do the things that are necessary so we can take advantage of those competitive advantages um, and don't handicap ourselves. And, and that is one of the reasons why these budget cuts are so frustrating. We were making progress. We were moving Alaska forward. We were living up to the legacy that we'd inherited. And and now um, those kind of dreams about what Alaska can be have been somewhat shattered, uh, and we need to put them back together. Well, Mayor Berkowitz, thanks a lot for doing the podcast. I appreciate it. And uh, it's obviously a great day, so hopefully you can get outside a little. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Thanks again, Mayor Berkowitz. All right, Jeff. Thank you. We'll do another one later, okay? Bye-bye. All right, folks, if you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast with me, uh, let me know, and we'll talk to you next time. Let's